I imagine that many of you have yet to celebrate Christmas this morning with your family and friends and whatever it is that may be on the agenda on this Christmas day. But I want to say again how wonderful it is to see you here in God's house, worshiping the Lord, giving him the glories that he deserves as the King of Kings who came as a babe in a manger. It is an amazing story, isn't it? Any parent who holds a newborn in his arms, in her arms, at one point wonders what this child is going to become. Would you agree? If you've been there, if you're a parent, you know that. Uh, You wonder what this child is going to be like. You wonder what this child is going to pursue. As parents, uh, my wife and I should have known that one of our sons would be rather prolific with words. When Just as a toddler, one of his first words was to describe ginger snaps, cookies, you know, as fire cookies. <laughs> Do you want a fire cookie? And, uh, and he would always say, oh, a fire cookie, fire cookie. And he would eat those, and, um, and they would burn his mouth, but he always wanted more. <laughs> and when he cried, he would say, instead of saying, I'm crying, he would say, The boy's eyes are raining. (laughs) His brother uh, gave us a hint as to which direction he was going in when he was able to sing long before he was able to talk. And we never imagined that he would become a musician, and indeed he is a musician. Right now he's a musician stuck in an airport in Los Angeles. (laughs) His flight has been canceled. Well, the story of Christmas should have eliminated any guesswork uh, on the part of Mary and, for that matter, on the part of Joseph as well. They both should have understood what Christ would be like, what he would be about, what he would pursue, who he would become. Uh, Certainly, if the story of Christmas was not telling enough, the episodes surrounding his life and ministry should have made it very clear as to who Jesus Christ is to Mary and Joseph. Not only was it detailed in the scriptures for them to read, but we know of all the episodes. Hopefully you've been reading along from week to week uh, during this Advent season to see all that came about to point to who Jesus Christ, the baby in the womb of Mary, is. Uh, And again, if all those details, those miraculous details were not telling enough, certainly the life of this young man as he was growing up would have been very telling. Uh, He was not like his brothers and sisters. (laughs) There was a certain seriousness about Christ when it came to the word of God. He had an appetite for the scriptures. As they watched him growing up, this I know for sure, although the scriptures don't tell us, it implies this, that it was evident that Jesus would not become a carpenter like Joseph. He was not going to follow in the footsteps of the man that was raising him. Well, the Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 4, and if you will, just two verses this morning in Galatians. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ arrived at the very right moment. 
Galatians is in your New Testament. And it's just before Ephesians. Galatians chapter 4, a book written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Galatia that's part of Asia Minor. And chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, this is how it reads. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive our adoption as sons. Again, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive our adoption as sons. The baby Jesus was born at just the right moment. And in the estimation of some people, it was actually kind of late. Some people would say, why did Jesus Christ wait so long to come? Why did God the Father wait so long? But here we see that it was just at the right moment. And when I say at the right moment, I'm not saying at the nick of time. I'm not, just, I'm not saying that it was just before the last moment as if God was sitting up in heaven and indecisively wondering, should I or should I not send Jesus Christ now? Let's see what happens next. Will things get worse? Should I send in the cavalry now? Or maybe I should say, should I send in the cavalry now? No, by the expression, the right moment, I am saying what the scripture here says. When the time had fully come. When the time had fully come. That was a time in history in which all the preceding events that were prophesied about in the Old Testament, all the things that had to happen were being fulfilled, were fulfilled, and now, at just the precise time, at the fullness of time, Jesus Christ would be born. It was a period of essentially 400 years of silence in which the people of God really heard nothing from God. That's a long time. It's almost double the history of our United States. It was an era in which the Pax Romana, the, the Roman peace, engulfed the civilized world, resulting in a never-before experience between uh, a, 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 a peace between nations uh, in the civilized known world. It was a time when, much because of the Romans, many roads were constructed. And so travel was possible. Commerce grew. And even communication became more easily available because of these roads. But we also read in history, James Boyce points it out, that it was a bleak and dark period where nations sunk into a moral abyss so that even the pagans cried out against it. That's how bad it was. He goes on to write, and spiritual hunger was everywhere evident. At just the right moment, the fullness of time. It was that period in history in which God the Father said, it is time. It is now time to send my son to become a man 
And, and in that sense, then, of course, it was the perfect time. It was the time in which the, now the gospel would begin. And notice here that in Galatians chapter 4, we see that Jesus Christ was born to a woman. That is, he was human, 100% human. And yet, he was not born uh, through a man, but rather through the Holy Spirit. He was 100% God. And you could understand how difficult that would have been for either Mary or Joseph to comprehend. And you could understand how it would be difficult for anybody to accept it. In fact, you may right now be wondering, how can that be? And you question it yourself. Well, place yourself in Mary's shoes. Place yourself in Joseph's sandals. Imagine how they thought. Well, it also says that he was born under the Jewish law. Uh, There were many laws. And the point here is that Jesus Christ was placed under all the requirements of the Jewish law, just like any other Jewish man. He was subject to all the Jewish laws. The ceremonial laws, the civic laws, the moral laws. And the beauty of it is that he never broke any of those laws. You see, the laws were designed to show people that they were sinners. A great way to show somebody that they're a sinner is by giving them laws they can't keep. (laughs) They couldn't. It only proved the point. God said, see, I told you, you're a sinner. You just proved it. However, Christ was sinless. He kept the law. In fact, what we read in the scriptures is that Christ came to fulfill the law, to complete the law. The law was pointing to Christ. The law pointed at our sinfulness and the Savior. He fulfills the law. And what I find interesting is that that in verse 5 it reads that we might receive adoption as sons. Why did Christ come? So that we might receive adoption as sons. And I've heard on various occasions, some people protesting this. And they say, well, what about us daughters? And so they amend the verse. They say that we might receive adoptions as sons and daughters. And people say, yes. You see, we are much broader thinking people today than they were then. But that's not what the text says. The text says that we were, that he came in order that we might receive adoption as sons. My friends, before I move any further here, let me just caution you to be very careful never to think that you are more empathetic, that you are more merciful, or that you are more considerate than God. Sometimes we do that, don't we? We look at the Bible and say, certainly God is wrong here, and I'm more merciful, I'm more empathetic I understand reality better than he, and so this is what I'm going to do instead, because you see, God, that's just a little callous and hard and cold. And we think we're actually more empathetic than God is. And so we say, well, it's not just sons, it's sons and daughters. Well, I I want you to notice here that God did not come to adopt women and girls as his daughters. Hmm. And this is why. It would be of no advantage to you whatsoever to be adopted as a daughter of God. Because you see, in those days when this was written, daughters had no privileges. Daughters had no inheritance. Daughters had no rights. 
And so what we see here is that God is taking male and female, men and women, girls and boys, and he's adopting them all as sons. That is to say, he gives everybody the same rights, the same privileges. He treats you, women, as if you were a son with all the inheritance rights of a male child. It's not that there's some sort of gender dysphoria here. Males are still males. Females are still females. But he treats you. He gives to you all the privileges of being the son of God. Can you ask for a greater inheritance than that? Romans chapter 5 verse 6 reads this way. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So you see, at the fullness of time, at the right time, Christ was born. And at the very right time, Christ died. And there we have the life of Christ. There we have the purpose of Christ. Now neither Mary or Joseph, in my opinion, should have been surprised. And yet, to whatever degree, they were surprised. If you, We don't know too much about Joseph, but if you read the account of Mary, you see that Mary was often surprised. I would imagine that some of it she understood better than other parts. After all, we read in the scriptures that she pondered and she treasured all these things in her heart. But you do see that Mary tends to be surprised and what her son has to experience, and what her son says about himself, as to what his son does, her son does. And I look and I say, Mary, how could you be surprised? And again, I, I have to be careful not to think that somehow I'm better equipped than Mary. I, if I was to place myself in Mary's shoes, I think I would not be far different. And you probably wouldn't be either. Well, take a look at what Jesus Christ says about himself. Take a look at what Jesus Christ says about himself. We see in Galatians 4 that he came at precisely the right time, when the fullness of time had come. But look at what Jesus Christ says about himself. We're going to take a a brief look at four different passages in the New Testament in which Jesus Christ makes a commentary about who he is and what he is about. And the first one is in Luke chapter 2 and verse 49. Luke chapter 2 and verse 49. These are the words of Jesus Christ about himself. And if you look at chapter 2, the very beginning of Luke, third gospel, Written, of course, by a fellow named Luke. He was a physician, by the way. Luke chapter 2, verse 49 reads this way. And he said to them, Jesus Christ said to the people around them, Why are you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Jesus Christ is actually speaking to Mary and Joseph. Says, why are you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Now, this took place when Jesus Christ was at 12 years of age, when he was what we would consider a preteen. We know very little about the young life of Jesus Christ, but we do know this at the age of 12, at the end of his family's annual trip to Jerusalem for the Passover feast, Jesus stayed behind, and his parents went off with the caravan. 
And suddenly they realized, where is he? Where's Jesus? I thought he was over there. No, I thought he was over there. I lost the last saw him over there. They had no idea. For three days they looked for him. Can you imagine that? Looking for your child for three days? Can you imagine the despair, the concern? I mean, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of people there in Jerusalem, and there is their, their 12-year-old in, in the mix of it all. Well, look at verse 48. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. Where did they find him? In the temple. What was he doing? Answering questions, teaching the scholars, teaching the teachers. The 12-year-old. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. I think it it was said more emphatically, more emotionally. (laughs) Maybe, parents, you said something similar to your child. What in the world are you doing? You know how long we've been looking for you? And Jesus Christ responds, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? I'm in the temple. In other words, Jesus Christ is saying, what do you mean, Mom? Where else do you think I would have been? Isn't this why we come here every year? What else would I, what else would I be doing? I can't believe it took you three days to realize that I'd be right here. You should have known, Mom. This is what I'm all about. The point here that Christ is making is that both Mary and Joseph should have anticipated where Christ was and and what he was doing. When the caravan had left, they should have anticipated that Christ was at the temple because that's what he was all about. That's what the angel told Mary. That's what the life of Christ told Joseph. They should have known. They knew who he was. They knew his mission. And yet here, verse 48 says, the parents were astonished when they found him. But go back verse 47. Whereas the parents were astonished when they found him, meanwhile, it says, all who were listening to Jesus for three days were amazed. They were shocked at what was coming out of the mouth of this 12-year-old. The wisdom, the biblical understanding the knowledge of God. He sat and he answered and he discussed. He taught. He would pause to eat and at the end of the, day, of the day he would go to sleep and then he would return and start all over again. He did this for three days and for three days people came and listened to him. For three days. When was the last time you went and listened to anybody for three days? Verse 48, Mary says, your father and I, notice here, your father and I have been searching for you in distress, anxiously looking for you. And in verse 49, Jesus Christ confesses who he is and he identifies himself very clearly. Look at what he says. He says, I must be in my father's house. Yes, Joseph was his father in a sense that Joseph was raising him. 
but the true, the real father of Jesus Christ is God. Here he is implying by saying, I must be in my father's house, in the temple. He is implying that he is the unique son of God. The unique son of God. These are the claims of Christ about himself. These are not words we put into his mouth. These are words that are coming out of his mouth. You notice here, verse 50, that his parents were confused. It says, and they did not understand the saying he spoke to them. That to me is surprising. But so human, isn't it? Take another look in the point in which Jesus Christ speaks and identifies himself. It's in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12, verse 48. Matthew 12, 48. Matthew chapter 12 is an interesting portion of the gospel filled with various forms of instruction for the Christian life and for an understanding of who Jesus Christ is. If you question who Christ is, let me suggest to you that you read Matthew chapter 12. You'll, you'll see what Christ says about himself. You may also want to read the gospel of John and see who Christ is. But here in Matthew chapter 12 verse 48 Jesus Christ is teaching, and the doorman comes and says, Jesus, your mother and brothers are outside. And look at how Jesus Christ replies. He says, who is my mother, and who are my brothers? No mom wants to hear that. Who is my mother, and who are my brothers? And in this instance, Mary and her four sons had come to call on Jesus while he was teaching. By the way, Jesus Christ did have four brothers. Uh, they're named in the scriptures twice over, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. And he also had sisters. These were not his cousins. These were his brothers and sisters, as the scriptures clearly bear out. And as they asked to speak to Jesus, <coughs> excuse me, Jesus told the doorman, he said, who is my mother, who are my brothers? Let's read on, verse 49. And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Here, not only does Jesus Christ identify again who his father is, my heavenly father, he identifies who his family is as well. And, and he moves the definition of family from a physical, genetical relationship based on DNA to, to a spiritual relationship based on faith and obedience. Faith in Christ and obedience to his words. Faith in God and a pursuance of God's truth. Now please understand, it's not here that Jesus Christ is being callous towards his family or mistreating them or disowning his earthly family. He's not doing that at all. And he simply here is refusing to confuse the means from the end. His earthly family was just a means by which he would create a spiritual family. And he's saying, this is the priority, my spiritual family. His earthly family was simply a means by which he would create this spiritual family. 
a family that would inherit eternal life. That's why later on Jesus Christ says in John 10.10, he says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Referring to his spiritual family. And here we see that those who pursue the will of God the Father, those are his family. Who is in a family of Christ? Those who pursue the will of God. Now, I don't think Mary should have been insulted. I don't think she should have been surprised. And if you follow Mary uh, through the Gospels, you see that she incrementally grows in her understanding to finally she's at the foot of the cross and she begins to really understand who Jesus Christ is. And, and eventually, at least we believe two of his brothers come to a realization of who their oldest brother, Jesus, was as well. Hopefully the other two as well come to a saving knowledge. But at this point, what we see in John 7, 5, is that not even his brothers believed in him. But after the resurrection, James and Judas come to place their faith in their big brother. Not as their big brother, but as in their savior. Take a look at a third statement Jesus Christ makes. It's in John chapter 6. The Gospel of John chapter 6, beginning at verse 35 and then 36. It reads this way. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. I think this is among one of the most confusing statements Jesus Christ makes about himself, recorded in the gospel. And if it's confusing for some of us, it's even more confusing for its original listeners. And we can very, I think, easily grasp the idea that Jesus Christ is the bread of life, the bread that nourishes our souls. However, the Jewish people that were listening to, them, to him uh, had to contend with some rather um, very human predispositions. You see, Jesus Christ had just fed 5,000 plus people. And he did so miraculously. He multiplied a few pieces of bread and fish, and he gave them fish sandwiches, uh, enough to feed all those people with 12 baskets left over. And the people had been listening to Jesus Christ. In fact, they were enamored by his teaching. They wanted to hear more. They listened so intently that... The day passed and they hadn't eaten and Jesus Christ provides them food. They were enamored with the teachings of Christ, but they were enchanted with the miracles of Christ. And that's so human, isn't it? We love truth, but what we really like, what we really love is the sensational. We would rather see the miracle than hear the truth. That's just the way we tend to be. And at this point, they wanted more. They wanted not just more food, they wanted more of the supernatural as well. The day before, the people ate till they were full. But 24 hours later, obviously, they're going to be hungry yet again. And Jesus Christ had just said, look, whoever comes to me, verse 35, whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But they were. They were hungry and they were thirsty. 
And as we well know, they would be again and again and again and again. Well, obviously, Jesus Christ here is not talking about food for the stomach. He's not saying that if you eat this fish sandwich, you're never going to go hungry again. No, he is speaking about spiritual food. He is speaking about food for your soul. He is speaking about this intangible food, food that will satisfy your inner being, food that will transform who you are from the inside out, food that will give your soul life. Physical food does temporarily satisfy us. We certainly do need it. Uh, If we are hungry and we ignore it, it will grow stronger and stronger and stronger. In fact, at one point, it's all we're going to think about. Hunger. I have a little granddaughter running around at home this week. She has a little fever that can't be here. But I'll tell you, that little girl can eat. And she burns every calorie off. And if she sees you eating something, she says... Can I have some, please? She's very kind. Whatever it is. And her parents somehow have convinced her that broccoli is good. And she'll eat it happily. She'll offer it to me. If we disregard our hunger, eventually, eventually we will grow sick and die. And we need food. Without physical food, we are weak, we are sickly, and we're certainly dissatisfied. What Christ is saying here is that the same is true of spiritual food. Without it, you will grow weak, you will become sickly, you will live a dissatisfied life. And he is saying, I am that food. I am the nourishment that you need I am the one who will satisfy you. So come, eat, drink. And as you eat and drink from him, never will you be hungry again. Never will you be thirsty again. Jesus Christ is essential spiritual food. He will fill your heart. He will flood your soul. And whoever comes to him will never thirst or go hungry again. But just as we see here in the passage I just read to you, unfortunately, many have heard, many have read the words of Christ, the claims of Christ, and yet they do not believe. We celebrate Christmas because we say there's some truth here. There's truth I need to inspect. Let me give you one more statement Jesus Christ makes about himself. In the same gospel, gospel of John, chapter 18, verse 37. John 18, 37. This is just before Jesus Christ goes to the cross. So we began with Jesus Christ being born and laid in a manger to now Jesus Christ is standing before Pontius Pilate, who was the governor of the time in the region, and he is not in favor of Christ. He doesn't necessarily hate Christ, but he certainly is well concerned with his own position, and he knows that if he lets Christ go, there's going to be a problem. There's going to be a riot. And so he's very careful as to what he does with this Jesus. And so he interrogates Christ before he puts him on the cross, and and he says, are you a king? And this is what Jesus Christ answers, verse 37. You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, 
to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Did you get that? Everyone who is of the truth does what? Listens to the voice of Jesus Christ. Now notice here Jesus Christ again identifies who he is and he identifies his purpose. Here he gives us the meaning of Christmas. Now what I find interesting here is that Jesus Christ never says, yes, I am the king. Instead, he says, you say that I am the king. And the reason he says he doesn't answer the question directly is because if he had said, I am the king, he would have been crucified for treason. And he is not going to give Pilate a single reason to put him on the cross. If you put me on the cross, Pontius Pilate, it will be on your own doing. I will do no wrong. This will be on you. And so you notice he never answers the question. He says, you say that I'm a king, but please understand, for this purpose, I came. He was born for the purpose of proving what is true. Notice what he says there. He says, I have come to bear witness to the truth. That's his purpose. And then he also identifies the behavior pattern of anyone who ascribes to that truth. Look at what he says. He says, they listen to Christ. They listen to my voice. And so there is a corresponding set of circles between who Christ is, why Christ came, and who belongs to Christ. And this is what he's saying. He's saying, one, circle number one, I am king. Circle number two, I have come to attest to what is true. And circle number three, those who listen, those who follow the words of the Bible, they are of me. The kingly role of Christ, which I find just amazing, at the very beginning of his life, when Jesus Christ is about two years old, he's a toddler running around the house. We read about it earlier. The Gospel of Matthew. The wise men, the magi come. They bear gifts. And among the gifts that they bear is gold. And gold is certainly valuable today, even maybe more so back then. But here, the gold that they give is a reminder to us. It's a pointing to the deity of Christ, the glory and the honor he deserves. But they also gave him, the Magi also gave him some myrrh. Do you know how to spell myrrh? Hey, very good. Gave him some myrrh. And myrrh is interesting because it was not the kind of gift you give. In fact, if you brought some myrrh to a baby shower today, people would look rather strange at you because it was a burial ointment. It would be a rather morbid gift. This is an ointment they would use when a person was being buried. And this is what the Magi brought to the baby Jesus. Why? Because he was born king the goal, but he would die. He would die in order to save. The very gifts the Magi bring is an indication of who Christ is and what he would do. Like bookends, each on each end of the life of Jesus Christ. Who he is and why he came. Well, my friends, Jesus Christ said that he is God the Son. This is what he said. I believe it, do you? 
Jesus Christ said that he identifies who belongs to the family of God, who belongs to his family. He said, those who listen to him and do the will of the Father, they are my family. He also said that he alone satisfies. And he explains his purpose to lead us to truth. Oh, my friends, we are all desperately looking for truth. And one of the things that frustrates us so much these days is that we don't know what's true and what's not. Jesus Christ said, not only am I true, not only am I the truth, I will lead you to truth. And so he calls on us to follow him. So on this Christmas day, let me encourage you to find time, sometime today, beyond this hour, to contemplate the claims of Christ and worship him for who he is. Amen.